This is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus. I wanted to remind you that the show is not intended to be a recommendation for diagnosis or treatment of any condition for any specific person. Please consult your mental health professional or doctor managing your ADHD or mental health issues about any diagnosis or treatment-related information that you hear on the show. Refer your ADHD provider to the show if he or she would like more information. The intent of the show is to bring the real story of ADHD to uh, listeners. Today, my guest is Dr. Thomas E. Brown, who is a clinical psychologist in the Department of Psychiatry at Yale University and teaches in the psychiatry department. Dr. Brown, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, David. It's a pleasure to be here. And today we'll be talking about um, some of the emotional aspects of ADHD and those have been somewhat left out of the definitions. Um, it can be a really difficult things for parents and teachers and others to understand how that comes from uh, and derives from the ADHD issues. And one of the things that uh, is a way of looking at some of that is with uh, what are called executive functions. So, Tom, if you could um, help us understand what what is meant by executive function. Yeah, uh, it's really not all that complicated. Uh, the main thing to say as a preface to this is that uh, although ADHD has been talked about in the medical literature since 1902, and the name of the disorder has been changed several times, from 1902 until 1980, it was all about behavior problems, mostly little kids who couldn't sit still and wouldn't shut up and were driving everybody nuts. It was not until 1980 that uh, the diagnostic manual first included the term attention deficit in the name of the disorder. And subsequently, it was changed to ADHD um, you know, for reasons that I don't think make an awful lot of sense. But the fact is, uh, we still have a notion of this, a lot of people still think of this as essentially a problem with behavior when in fact we now know that it's not primarily about behavior, it's more about attention but very broadly defined attention. Mm -hmm. And the notion of executive functions is a way of talking about the fact that there are some functions of the brain that help us manage ourselves, particularly when we've got to do things on our own rather than having somebody else walk us through it step by step. And there are several different models for executive function. The uh, one that I work with is derived from my experience with talking with patients who have ADHD, and there's six components to it. Uh, one of them has to do with uh, getting organized and getting started on tasks that need to be done. Another one is being able to focus and then sh keep the focus as long as you need to and then shift your attention to other tasks when you need to. Mm-hmm. Third one has to do with regulating alertness. It has to do with issues about being able to be awake when you need to be awake and asleep when you need to be asleep and being able to keep up the effort to, to finish things when you need to and also issues around processing speed in terms of how fast you can process information. The fourth one is the one which touches on some things that are not in the current diagnostic criteria for ADD but are very much a part of it as, as I see it and that is managing frustration and then modulating emotions. We can talk more about that in a few minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, the fifth 
has to do with utilizing working memory and accessing, accessing recall. And working memory here uh, it does not mean remembering stuff from a long time ago. It, re- it means hearing, remembering things in the here and now. Um, you know, so what somebody just said to you, what you're about to do, where you put your keys, uh, what you're about to say, some some information you were planning to, uh, you know, give somebody else. Uh, keeping one thing in mind while doing something else. Mm-hmm. And then uh, finally, monitoring and self-regulating one's actions to be able to avoid being too impulsive and jumping to conclusions too quickly or acting without thinking about uh, what the consequences might be. So mm-hmm. those six clusters, uh, which, you know, the labels I've got on them in the model are activation, focus, effort, emotion, memory, and action. Uh, But the fact is, those one-word labels make it sound as though it's all one thing and it's not. I think it's a more reasonable way to look at it is that each one of those clusters uh, is sort of a a label on a a basket of related cognitive functions. These are complicated Mm -hmm. things, but that's and they work together for us. It's not yeah. as though, um, you know, any one of these things is what you need. Often we talk about ADHD as a problem with focus, but it doesn't mean focus as in, uh, you know, hold your camera still while you take a picture. It's more like focus on your driving, where mm-hmm. you're not gluing your eyes to the bumper of the car in front of you, but instead you're watching what they're doing, but you're also noticing that the street light down the street is turning from green to red. You've got to take your foot off the accelerator and move it toward the brake. You're also watching what's coming up behind you in the rearview mirror, what's beside you in your side view mirror, noticing that the truck's backing out of the driveway. You've got to look out for what they're going to do, and then you've got a few pedestrians uh-huh. running across the street to catch the bus. Meanwhile, you've got to change lanes and get ready to make a left turn, and you're thinking about what you're going to buy when you get to the grocery store. You know, it, during that time, what we're doing is sort of keeping, you know, noticing one thing after another, ignoring some things because they're not really important for what we're doing, keeping one thing in mind and then going to another and keeping in mind what you have to do in order safely to drive the car. Right. And where you're headed. And so it's that kind of, of focus where you're pulling together and using working memory to help to integrate what you see, what you've heard, and what you're planning to do. Uh, those are the kinds of issues that are involved in, in focus and in this broader range of executive functions. So then um, the uh, emotional aspect certainly can come in with a, a modulating of um, emotions. And many of these you know, certainly run in the background. They aren't conscious decisions, each one. Um, so sometimes conscious, sometimes not conscious. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think that probably one of the things that's most confusing for a lot of people about ADHD is so I use the terms ADD and ADHD interchangeably. I'm not trying to talk about subtypes. Right. Uh, but one of the things that's confusing about it is that uh, the, it's not so much conscious and deliberate. It's mm-hmm. much more a matter of uh, unconscious operations because these things are unconscious not in the old psychoanalytic sense of repression, but more in the modern sense of automaticity. And all that means is if you think about a basketball player who's driving in to make a layup shot, that player is not thinking, okay, now I move my left foot forward, now I move my right foot forward, now I drop my left shoulder, now I turn my head slightly, 
and uh, and then I'm, I'm going to you know, bring the ball up and around. Uh, all these motions are seamlessly put together while at the same time looking out for where the other players are, how the defensive players are, are maneuvering, and trying to make adjustments uh, to deal with the immediate situation so that it happens automatically. And it's that sense of automaticity, which is the way we drive our cars most of the time. It's the way we, we uh, type letters. It's the way we carry on conversations where um, each step is not individually thought about, but there are sort of a series of things we do in response to whatever the tasks of the situation are. Right. So then in people with uh, ADD, and I also use the terms interchangeably, uh, there's something different in their brain chemistry so yes, that these things is. don't happen in order or in the, in the coordinated fashion they need to. Yeah, actually, I think the, the place where one can see it most clearly is in what I call the central mystery of ADD. And the central mystery of ADD, as I see it, is that of the thousands of people I've seen, little kids and teenagers and adults with ADHD, every single one of them has a few specific activities in which they have absolutely no difficulty in exercising those executive functions, which often they have a lot of trouble with in most other things they do. Mm-hmm. Give an example. High school kid I saw, a 16-year-old boy brought in by his parents, and he was the goalie for his school's ice hockey team. Uh-huh. And it just happened that the parents were bringing him to see me the day after the team had won the state championship at ice hockey. So at the beginning, they're, they're sort of bragging a little bit about how great he was in the tournament the day before, and apparently he was a very good goalie. They said when he was in the net playing hockey, he missed nothing. He knew where that puck was every second of a fast game, totally on top of it the kind of goalie every team wants. He was a smart kid. He tested way high up in the superior range, wanted to get good grades, was hoping to go to medical school, but he was always in trouble with his teachers. And what they'd say to him is, you know, once in a while, you'll say something that shows how smart you are, where we'll be talking about something, you'll come in with some comment that's really very perceptive and it's impressive. But most of the time, you're out to lunch, you're looking out the window, you're staring at the ceiling, you look like you're half asleep half the time, you don't even know what page you're on. And the question they kept asking him was, if you can pay attention so well when you're playing hockey, how come you can't pay attention when you're sitting in class? Yeah. Or here's another example. A lot of times parents will bring in kids for me to see, and they'll say, well, the teacher says this kid can't pay attention for more than five minutes. We know that's not true. We have watched her play video games. Yes. She can sit and play those video games for three hours at a time and not move. And the teacher said she's easily distracted. That's nonsense. When she's playing those games, she's locked onto that screen like a laser, and the only way you're going to get her attention is to jump at her face or turn off the TV. Yeah. So again, it's like, if you can do it here, why can't you do it there? Now, it's not always sports or video games. There's some people with ADD, they're not good at that stuff. They might be into art, or they're, uh, and they do that for hours at a time, or somebody else might be uh, into, uh, when they're little, uh, playing with Lego blocks and making fancy constructions with them, and then when they're older, they're taking car engines apart and putting them back together. Right, right. Computer networks. But everybody I've ever seen who has ADD has a few things they can do where they've got no trouble paying attention, even though on almost everything else they've got a lot of trouble paying attention. And unfortunately... I'm sorry? Unfortunately, I see parents and also sometimes other physicians conclude, well, you don't have ADD because you can pay attention to video games or you're excellent at art. And that really is a, a misunderstanding of the disorder because the fact is 
what happens, you know, if you ask these people, why is it you can focus on the hockey but not on your schoolwork usually? Uh-huh. You know, or the video game or the Lego constructions or, or taking the car engines apart or whatever. Usually what they'll say is, it's easy. If it's something I'm interested in, I can pay attention. If not, I can't. Mm-hmm. And most people hear that and they say, yeah, right, congratulations. That's true for anybody. Anybody's going to pay attention better for something they're interested in than for something they're not, which is true. But here's the difference. People who don't have ADD, they've got something they've got to do, and they know they've got to do it, and it's important. They can usually make themselves pay attention, even if it's pretty boring, just because they know they've got to do it. Mm-hmm. With ADD, it is incredibly difficult for them to be able to make themselves pay attention unless it's something that's really interesting to them, not because somebody told them it ought to be interesting because it'll help your report card grade or your job grade, right. but just because it is interesting for whatever reason to them. Or if they feel they have a gun to their head and something very unpleasant is going to be happening very fast if they don't take care of this right here, right now. Under those two conditions, no problem. Mm-hmm. And people look at that and they say, oh, you're just not trying hard enough. It's not that way because... The yeah. problem is, it, it, they say it looks like a problem with willpower, but it really is not. It's a problem with the dynamics of the chemistry of the brain. You know, I had a guy one time that came in, and he said, you know, I've got a sexual example for you for what it's like to have ADD. He said having ADD is like having erectile dysfunction of the mind. Hmm. The task you're trying to do is something that turns you on, you're up for it, and you can perform. But if the task you're trying to do is not something that's intrinsically interesting, if it doesn't turn you on, you can't get it up. And if you can't get it up, you're not going to be able to perform. And in that situation, it doesn't matter how much you may say to yourself, I need to, I ought to, I should. You can't make it happen. Right, it's right. It's not a willpower kind of thing. And I think that's the biggest problem that most people have in understanding ADHD because it looks for all the world like it is a willpower problem. You can do it here, why can't you do it there? When, in fact, mm-hmm. it's not. One thing I see with... Uh adolescence and I to me it's kind of an evolution of um, good to easy to pay attention to Legos or those kinds of things when they're younger and if the ADHD isn't recognized then they do lose motivation you know why why bother them everybody's yelling at me I can't make it happen I'm That's trying right. as hard it's I can just sort of <clears throat> throwing their hands up and say whatever yeah and so that's when depression or anxiety, or for teenagers, a lot of times the substance abuse comes That's up. That's right. Well, you know? you know, kids who have, show me a kid who's eight or ten years old who's diagnosed carefully with ADHD, and I can tell you statistically that kid has double the risk of having a drug or alcohol problem at some point in his or her life, which rises to the level of diagnosis, if they're not treated with the appropriate medicine. Mm-hmm. Treated mm-hmm. with the appropriate medicine, then during you know, junior high, high school, and early college years, their risk is reduced to what it would be for somebody without ADHD. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that fits into a lot of the impulsive and not think the consequences, just I feel bad, someone if I, says if I smoke this, I'm not going to be as anxious. Oh, yeah. that works for it. Um, the only problem is it gets so you don't give a damn about things you really do need to give right. a damn about. Right, right. And maybe I have a little bit more problem out here in Washington since that's now legal and uh, just like alcohol is well a 14 year old can ask a 20 year old friend to buy some um, yeah no, and, and, and that it, happens all over the country mm-hmm. uh, but the, the fact is that that even though THC the active ingredient in marijuana is one of the best things around for reducing anxiety it's got a big problem because as you well know 
uh, you know, the, the THC binds to fat molecules in the brain, and that whatever a person smokes today, even if they smoke no more for the next three weeks, if you draw a blood or a urine level three weeks later, you're going to pick it up. Mm-hmm. And so whatever a person smoking today is going to go in on top of whatever they've smoked in the last few weeks. And there's so as no... As a result, they can easily get into the point where they don't give a damn. Right. And, and certainly there's no dosage regulation uh, in terms of are you getting X number of uh, micrograms of THC. You can't regulate that in terms of the way well, you can't because uh, you know you know when you buy it you never know what you know right. what's been added to it or you're taking away from it and uh, so forth and, you know there's one thing i was just thinking about that i should go back to for a moment i was talking about uh, how people can get interested in something and then uh that changes the chemistry of the brain the other thing that i should have added at that point is that there's one other way that it happens and that is if somebody feels like they've got a gun to their head Mm-hmm. Something that they consider very unpleasant would be happening very quickly if they don't take care of this right here, right now. And so that's another thing that changes the chemistry of the brain instantly. But the problem with both of these, that that it's so interesting or it's so scary because I'm afraid that, that I'm going to be terribly embarrassed by in front of my friends or I'm going to lose a lot of money or something bad is going to happen. And mm-hmm. keep in mind that it's bad as perceived by the person we're talking about, not as it looks to other people who are looking right. at them. Uh, that that, too, changes the chemistry of the brain instantly. But the problem in both cases, whether it's from interest or from fear of something unpleasant, is it's not under voluntary control. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, you can't make Russian history be interesting if you don't like history and you'd rather be unless you've got a right, situation where you know that if you do not take care of this assignment for russian history tonight that you're going to flunk a test tomorrow and that if you flunk the test you could have a lousy grade and lose eligible to play on the football team right right um so you mentioned um something a minute ago about the careful diagnosis um in adhd and i imagine there are and i've certainly seen things people don't usually just have ADHD. They may have either other psychological problems or learning disorders and various processing things that can confuse the picture. Yeah, the adult data suggests that if you look at people around the age of 40 uh, who have ADHD and then compare them with other people who don't have ADHD around the same age, the people who have ADHD have six times the likelihood of having at least one other psychiatric diagnosis at some time before they hit 44. Wow. Now, sometimes that's an anxiety disorder. Sometimes it's a substance use disorder. Sometimes it's OCD. Sometimes it's depression. Um, you know, and the other thing is learning disorders. For example, it used to be everybody thought that a learning disorder like dyslexia or disorder of written expression or uh, problems with math we're all completely separate from ADHD, and it was just something you needed to get special education instruction for. But the fact is that each of those learning disorders, specific learning disorders, also overlaps with ADHD. Uh-huh. Varying degrees. For example, you know, that there are many people who are dyslexic who have a lot of trouble learning how to read and spell, and you can spend a lot of time teaching them how to be able to decode the words, but then they often read 
slowly and sort of a staccato way, and often so slowly that by the time they get to the end of a long, a long sentence, they've forgotten what it said at the beginning. Right, that working and, memory part comes Yeah, up. and without the you know, adequate working memory and ability to focus and stay on task, um, you know, the reading is still the comprehension, particularly for longer passages. Mm-hmm. We're not looking at just a few words, but we're looking at, at sentences and paragraphs and pages, uh, chapters. Um, that's a place where nowadays the, the, the people who are really on top of their game in, in the dyslexia studies are saying, hey, you know, we've got to pay attention to uh, the attention and working mm-hmm. memory mm-hmm. and dyslexia. And there are many people with that kind of difficulties who do much better uh, if they're adequately treated for ADHD symptoms at the same time. And I certainly uh, see uh, children that maybe in first or second grade, they're academically doing pretty well. Maybe there are some behaviors or a few things that might suggest ADHD. Then they get to third and fourth grade where the comp comprehension of the reading and being able to put yeah. the ideas together, that's when it, it uh, now, hits as a problem. When you switch from learning how to read to reading how to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the kinds of things that you would use to kind of tease apart these things? Someone who maybe doesn't have a defined learning disorder, just has ADD, or there's a lot of anxiety with it. How, how do you approach that? Well, let me first say how I don't approach it. Um, there, there are a lot of uh, things on the internet and uh, in you know popular magazines or media where people talk about how, well, for example, there, there's one doctor in particular who runs several clinics, saying, "Well, come on in, we'll get a spec scan of your brain, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we'll tell you which of six or seven different types of ADHD you've got." And that imaging studies are not an effective way of, of uh, diagnosing ADHD because uh, ADHD has to do with how you function in a variety of situations across those situations, you know, in school and in social life and in family relationships and uh-huh. day-to-day operations. And the snapshot you take of a brain in, in a second or two uh, is not going to tell you anything about how that brain's operating right. you know, across right. those situations. and. The same thing is true of these computer tests that uh, they advertise. Can you pay attention to a boring task for 20 minutes? Um, the, the neuropsychological so-called tests of executive function don't really measure executive function very well in, in any way that fits what we're talking about with ADHD because you, know, the, you have to look at how a person functions in daily life. And so the main instrument right. for evaluation of whether or not somebody has ADHD or whether it's something else going on, uh, you know, is the clinical interview. Having somebody who knows what ADHD looks like and how it's differentiated from other possible explanations of, for example, somebody getting high too much or drinking too much, you know, or having had a bang on the head that, that uh, is interfering with their thought processes or is too depressed to be able to manage, that, you know, you need conversation with the person who's being evaluated and with people who know them well, uh-huh. able to get the picture of what's going on. And then the other thing that is critically important is to be able to use some standardized measures like the uh, rating scales, the ones that are normed, right. uh, where you know about how people at different ages are going to respond to those questions. And there, you know, there's several different kinds that are out there on the market, but it's, it's important, I think, to 
to have a good clinical interview and be able to use a normed rating scale both to get self-report and also to get report from parents or teachers or some other people who know how this person functions from day to day. Right, and I've um, used your Brown ADD scale um, because I like the fact that it gets at some of those function things and not just here are the symptoms, do you do it sometimes or often or all the time. Um, yeah, I think it's important to go beyond the DSM criteria because even mm-hmm. though you know the things on that list are certainly relevant to ADHD, and I always run through those with each of the patients I see, but the fact is there's some things where you need to ask for more details, right? Uh, and you're not going to get enough of them just looking at the, the uh, DSM criteria. For example, uh, I find if you ask people who have ADHD you know, how's reading for you? They'll often say, well, it's all right, um, or I read pretty well. But if you change the question and you say, look, I'm going to ask you three questions about reading, but as you answer them, please think about reading, not as reading something you picked out because you like it, but something that's assigned. You just have to read it for school or read it for your job. Uh-huh. When you're doing that kind of reading, do you find that as you read, you can follow it all right? But while you're doing that, your mind just keeps drifting off thinking about a bunch of other stuff. And uh-huh. secondly, when you're reading something like that that you wouldn't choose, you find that as you read, you understand it perfectly well at the moment that you read it. But then when you finish, you know, it doesn't stick inside your head. So often you've got to go back and read it again and read it again. Right. Uh-huh. And third, when you're doing that kind of reading you wouldn't choose for yourself, do you find that as you read, you can remember some of the details of what you've read and talk with people about that. But if somebody were to say to you, hey, look, one simple sentence, what's the main idea here? It's kind of hard to put it together. Those right. three questions, if you ask them about reading things that they don't have great passion for or strong interest in, you're going to get a very different answer than if you are asking them about, you know, somebody who's an avid snowboarder reading about it for a snowboarding magazine. Sure, sure. You in know, terms it, of... It, I, I want to pull our discussion around to uh, treatment things. What what can you do about uh, working memory? Um, I know medications can help with some of them, certainly not all of them. What other approaches are there um, to Well, I think the main, th- the main thing we've got that, that works not always but often is medication. But the, the, the issues that I think are important to keep in mind about that, and I know you know all about this, but some of your listeners might not be aware, that for stimulant medications, for, for one thing, they cure nothing. Yes. Uh, it's not like you've got a strep throat, you take an antibiotic, and it knocks out the infection. It's more like uh, I think, uh, uh, reading glasses. You put on, I, you know, my eyes don't work very well for reading uh, typewriter size script. Mm-hmm. I put my eyes, my, my glasses <coughs> on, I can read about as well as anybody can, but if I take them off, I'm right back where I started. I, 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 right. Worry to me. And in the same way, the medicines that we have available for ADHD don't fix your, your uh, ADD symptoms any more than uh, the eyeglasses fix my eyes. Right. You know, but they can help for many people, not everybody. I usually tell my patients, your odds of medicine helping you are about 8 for 10. You know, that uh, there are 2 mm-hmm. out of 10 people where the medicines just don't work very well or they make side effects that they just don't want to put up with. Right. 
but eight out of ten, it helps. Now, for some, it's huge how much it helps them. For others, it's substantial, but it's not huge. Mm-hmm. And others, it helps a little, but not that much. And two out of ten, it doesn't do a damn thing. So uh, I think it's important to be realistic about that and not oversell the medicines. But the fact is, uh, we get a pretty good, you know, 80% hit rate is pretty damn good compared yes, to what yes. we get on a lot of uh, treatments. And uh, the other thing that a lot of people don't take into account is that the amount, the dose of medicine when you're talking stimulants has nothing to do with how old you are or how much you weigh or right. how the symptoms are. It's how sensitive is your body to it. Mm-hmm. And you know, there, unfortunately, a lot of physicians, uh, if they're trained in pediatrics, it's not usually a problem. But people who are now seeing adolescents and adults who've not had much work in, in ADHD often are not that much aware of how the fine-tuning goes. And so, oh, you look like a pretty big kid. Uh, we'll right. start you out with uh, a big dose of this stuff. Um, and then it turns out that, uh, you know, among the kids I see and the adults I see, they're, most of the little kids are taking small doses, but there are a few of them just as small as all the rest of them, same level of symptom severity. We've got to go up to the top of the adult dosing range to touch them. Not very right. Much right. And for those, that works, even though for others it would be way too much. Right. Among the adults I see, most of them are taking fairly hefty doses, but there are some of them taller and fatter than I am, and I'm not a skinny person. Uh, who are taking no more than you give a typical five-year-old. Right. I've certainly seen some adults that um, a pretty low dose of any of the long-acting ones seems to work fine. And others, uh, kids are taking in the 50s and 60 milligrams. Yeah. And I I think that that it's very important for for patients uh, who are wanting to get some help with their medication to understand that it's a trial and error thing. You start usually with a baby-sized dose and then just take it up a little bit at a time, stair-step-wise, right. to see if you can find that sweet spot between too little and too much. Because if you have too little, it doesn't do a damn thing. You might just as well be taking breath mints. And if you have too much, then you begin to feel yeah. jittery, like Get you in. have too many cups of coffee, mm-hmm. or irritable or sort of spaced out. Well, I'm, I'm going to finish up with one uh, question. Are, are the uh, executive function issues and some of these emotional things helped by, for instance, um, parents learning parenting skills specifically directed at kids with ADHD or behavior problems? I think, I think they, they can be helped. And I think pills don't do everything, even when they do no. their best. Uh, and, you know, they, they're, you know, they simply don't teach skills, and they don't work 24-7. Uh, and there's just a lot of things people need help with. But I think one of the things that's most important is education about the nature of the disorder. Mm-hmm. And both the person who has it and the per- people who live with them and care about them need to have a realistic understanding of what ADHD is and what it isn't. Because there's so much nonsense out there in the, li- in the media. Oh, yes, this, yes. Where uh, people just don't get a realistic assessment of what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that that, that kind of education, uh, you know, science-based education about what ADHD is like is important. That's basic. Yeah. And, and understanding this issue about the central mystery that I spoke about is important, to, particularly to have them recognize that this is not a willpower problem. even though Right, it's exactly. And, and that's the piece of information that's critical. Um, the problems, you know, I think the, that once people get educated about that, then usually 
they're going to be more patient with one another. But mm-hmm. often, particularly when you're talking about parents who have kids with ADHD, uh, very often uh, you end up uh, where you get uh, a battle going on between the parents where sure. uh, one of them will be uh, what I call the, the kick-ass and the other one is the marshmallow, you know, mm-hmm. where the one has a very firm sense of this kid has to learn how to meet requirements and how to do what needs to be done, and we've got to be firm so that he or she learns how to make it in this world. Right. And the other parent will say, well, this kid is catching flack from everybody they're dealing with. Don't you think that they need some place where it's a refuge from that, where they're not always going to feel criticized and always feel like people are impatient with them? And what happens, unfortunately, is if you've got parents who don't have an understanding of how this thing works, how ADHD works, that often they battle with each other and push each other into uh, extreme positions of conflict. Yeah, uh, and when definitely fact, another. The difficult but crucial task is to be able to work together and, and making Absolutely. those decisions day by day about when you tighten up and when you when, loosen up and when you support. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm going to need to uh, cut our discussion here, and at some point, hopefully in the future, we can come back and revisit some of these topics. Um, Certainly, uh, my goal in um, this entire show is bringing the science um, to the whole subject of ADHD so people can understand it better. And I appreciate very much you being a guest today. My guest has been Dr. Thomas E. Brown. My pleasure, David. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk to you at some point in the future. And for those listening, Until next time, be well. Thank you.